0: Why, hello there, (coughs) Redberry. My senses are alive. My princess is near. I can feel it. I can smell it. I can... I can taste it. Princess... I slayed a dragon for you. We are so excited about this series because, you know, it's funny. I think all of us, whether you're married or not, and even the most cynical among us, holds at least some hope that a fairy tale, happily ever after kind of marriage is possible even still today. And it's against that backdrop, it's with that hope in mind that we're kicking off this series happily even after. Happily even after the honeymoon. Happily even after the kids. Happily even after the fight. Happily even after the tragedy is where we're going over the next four weeks together as a church family. As together we examine what God says when he calls us into this incredible institution called marriage. What does it look like? How do we function in a God-honoring, God-blessing kind of a way to make marriage everything that God designed and everything that God desires? And that really is kind of, I think, the, the, the real question of marriage is, is how do we really and truly merge marriage with life? Because the reality is we, we get married and, and there's a honeymoon, but, but then you come home from the honeymoon and there's, there's bills to pay, there's seats not put down, there are, there's shuttling the kids to and from, there's victories, there's setbacks, there's challenges, all of these things conspire to make life somewhat messy. How many of you know that sometimes life gets messy? Let me just see a show of hands. We're not talking about today, of course, but we've heard of other opportunities. Well, the reality is marriage is ultimately, in God's economy, merging the miracle of marriage with the mess of life. Yesterday, I posted a photograph on Instagram uh, from, that I took off of a screenshot of my phone. I think we have a shot of it from when I was talking to my daughter, Emily. Emily had called from college, and the caption read this. I'm just sad for everyone that I wasn't able to record Emily Richard's recap of her CrossFit WOD. Hashtag your loss, hashtag my gain, hashtag day made, hashtag comedy gold. Emily is, true enough, my daughter, but she is easily one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. So I called her and said, Emily, why would you send me that text about your workout? What happened? She goes, Dad, it was horrible. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I walked in, and they said it was going to be a partner workout. We were going to run one mile, do 200 thrusters with dumbbells, then run another mile, and do 200 dumbbell rows from a plank position, then run another mile, and do another 200 thing. So I was going to have to run three miles in addition to doing the weight workout. Now, Emily, just so you know by background, Emily has inherited her father's deep loathing of running. I don't understand people who just go run. It's a, it's a disorder of some sort. And I know some of you suffer from it. But I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Emily inherited that from me. And she went on to say, she goes, but dad, really what happened when I looked at the board and they had written it down, I thought, okay, I can do that. For me, that's going to be an eight, since it's a partner workout, I'll run 800 meters, do 100 of the thrusters. Then I'll run another 800 meters and I'll do 200 of the the bent over rows and then I'll do another 800 meters. Oh no, dad, I was so wrong. Both of us had to run the mile, then we split the weight workout, then we ran the full mile again, then we split the next 200, then we ran the third mile. Dad, I ran three miles this morning before 9.30 and it's Saturday. (laughs) She was hot. And she said this, and I blame you. I'm going to come back to that in a little while, but You see, what Emily discovered yesterday was that getting through that workout was exponentially more difficult than she had anticipated. And I can't think of a more perfect description of the institution of marriage. To build a great marriage is going to be exponentially more difficult than you could ever anticipate. Somebody help me preach. I'm just saying. But I will also say this. Like Emily's workout, the payoff is also going to be exponentially more than anything you could anticipate, ask, or imagine. And so today we ask the question, how do you live a life married, happily even after the honeymoon? Now, as we begin this series, I think it's really important to understand, this is a series for everyone. If you're not married... As a matter of fact, I think if you're not married right now, you have a unique advantage over those of us who are married at this moment because you have the opportunity to learn. You have the luxury to learn the principles and the practices that we're going to talk about and own them personally before you ever have to put them into practice. If you are married, we have the opportunity to remember and to reaffirm that that commitment, that covenant that we made when we entered into marriage. This is a unique opportunity for every single one of us. So don't check out if you're not married. As a matter of fact, if you aren't married, I would encourage you, I want to challenge you to lean in a little bit closer. Listen a little bit more intently. Now, before we answer the question, how do you live happily even after the honeymoon? It's imperative that we all kind of start from the same baseline that God has given us in the Bible. Because the fact of the matter is marriage is a unique opportunity amongst any relationship in the world to explore, to discover, and put into practice the gospel, the good news of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, whether it's a book or on your phone, look at Ephesians chapter number 5. In Ephesians chapter number 5, God reemphasizes again something that he said back in the Old Testament at the very beginning. Through the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, this is what the Bible says. For this reason, say "this this reason. This reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great but i'm speaking with reference to christ and the church. so in god's economy, marriage is about much more than companionship. it's about much more than finding mr right or miss okay, i'll settle for her. it's about that was funny. you should have laughed at that. it's about actually representing the gospel of jesus christ. now in Genesis, where God says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's there at the beginning, at creation, that God establishes the paradigm, the pattern for marriage of one man, one woman, one life. Man and woman, male and female, these are not arbitrary physical distinctions. These are divinely appointed opportunities and responsibilities. And it's within that context that God calls people into marriage. One man, one woman, one life. But as with everything you see in Ephesians chapter 5, the gospel expands the growth of grace. We have grace even in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve first sinned and were expelled from the presence of God in the garden. God gave them the grace to cover their shame and their nakedness. God, the ultimate tailor, designed and fashioned the clothes that they wore out of the garden. That was grace. But here in the New Testament, you see Jesus expanding that grace. And not only are husband and wife for each other and for God, they are also for the rest of the world. So how a husband treats his wife, how a wife treats her husband, has supernatural, eternal significance and consequences to it. There's, there's something really, really important in God's economy about marriage. It's why Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's not just wedding rhetoric. That is a divine command. That is a divine calling for husbands and wives. And, and so I think it's important for us, especially if you're not married yet, keep those things in mind as you start dating. I'm just saying, when you start dating somebody and, and he's a little bit snotty, he's gonna be snottier on the other side of the altar. If you start dating and she's kind of a, a little bit naggy or, or kind of just, just not pleasant to be around on a regular basis, do not think that putting a ring on it is gonna make it better. You have to understand what it is that God wants to accomplish in marriage and then choose very wisely. Hashtag who you marry matters. I thought we'd get at least one. (laughs) Now, I have the decided advantage of having married so far over my head that I've gotten to see God's expanded grace played out. I've gotten to experience it. And and it's not because, certainly because I'm better than anyone or Julie is smarter, she's smarter than me, but that's not why. We've seen it because of the choices we've made and the grace of God himself. It's imperative that we understand this is absolutely available. This is absolutely accessible to anyone who would choose to step into the grace of God, whether you've been married for a year or you've been married for 50 years. This is available to everyone if you're willing to step into the grace and the power and the authority of God. It's what he offers. It's what he's given to us. Now, when Paul said that marriage is about the church, He was saying that husbands and wives represent Jesus and the church. And so our unity as husband and wife portrays for the rest of the world what it looks like to live in a relationship with Christ. It's something that Jesus had said in John chapter 17. In John 17 chapter 3, Jesus says this. He says, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is how you have eternal life. This is what it means to be a Christian, to know God. I want you to tell your neighbor right now with honeymoon, passion, and enthusiasm, know God. Man, I hope your honeymoons were better than that. (laughs) Wow. To know God. In the original Greek, in in the language that the New Testament was written in, that word to know, that verb. It is the same word that is used to describe to know and to be known as in husband and wife, that deep soul level intimacy that is possible between a husband and a wife. That's what God desires in the life of a Christ follower, for us to know God, not just to know about him, but to know God, to be known by him. That's the ultimate goal. And so you see throughout any conversation of biblical, godly marriage, the common thread of salvation, the common thread of the gospel weaving all the way through the story of marriage. You see this, I think, perfectly and easily when you think about a wedding and the honeymoon. The wedding is it's so obvious You've got the, the bride and her bridegroom, and they've, they've come to the altar together, and their, their families and their friends are united at this moment of uniting. And there's this covenant-making moment, and the organ chimes, and they walk out down the aisle, and there's a reception and a party. But then, oh, then, there's a honeymoon. Somebody. There is a honeymoon. And it's in the honeymoon that, that the husband and wife leave. What did the Bible say? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's, that's the picture of the honeymoon, the, the honeymoon where, where husband and wife leave mommy and daddy behind, and they, they go out. You don't have to travel. You can travel. My mom and dad got married in Beaumont, Texas. They honeymooned in Orange, Texas. You can honeymoon anywhere. But it's on the honeymoon that you depart. It's on the honeymoon that you discover. It's on the honeymoon that you, you celebrate each other. And there's this incredible freedom that comes in the honeymoon. But then you come home. Then, then you get back. And you have to, at some point, get on with the business of living the life that you have just established together. And it's After the honeymoon, when you have to figure out how to merge the mess and the marriage, it's after the honeymoon. And the great news is, in God's economy, you don't have to forfeit the feelings of fun. You don't have to forfeit the patterns of passion that you established on your honeymoon. They're not going to sustain forever, but you get to come back to them Over and over and over and over and over again and rekindle. Yes, you go live life, you do work, you pay bills, maybe you have children, but ultimately there is an essence, there is a sense of honeymoon that God wants every marriage to sustain, to feed that fire of marriage that he ignited, that he called us to experience. I want you to turn your Bibles to, Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, specifically chapter number five. Now, as you're looking at Proverbs chapter five, we're going to read a passage of Scripture this morning that is, I mean, at least PG-13. It's amazing to me when you talk to people who go, man, the Bible's written so long ago, it's not real life. We're fixing to get so real life, some of you are going to leave. I hope not, but you're going to think about it especially if you're sitting next to your parents, but I'm just pointing out the reality of God's Word. It's an incredible blessing. It's an incredible gift. And by the way, I don't think it's accidental that as we open the book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom, that one of the most common themes repeated over and over and over again is marriage. It's almost as if God knew happy wife, happy life. Happy hubs, fewer trubs. It's almost like (laughs) God knew that we needed supernatural wisdom to make this thing work over the long haul. Look at what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Ooh. I told my mom not to come to Austin today. (laughs) But it's imperative that we understand what God intends for marriage. Let's let's unpack this passage together just, just step by step. Number one, you see, quench the romantic thirst. Quench the romantic thirst in marriage. There's not a single man or woman alive who has ever gotten married hoping to be bored in marriage. Ever. Think about when you first start dating somebody. And it's, and it's clicking. I mean, it is firing on all cylinders. And you're, you, you shower and bathe before you ever see that person. As you're driving up, you pull out that Listerine thin strip and Pop it in, the butterflies are growing into the size of eagles. You turn off the car and you walk up to the front door, it's like, pop, 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 pop. this is the guy speaking now, I'm just saying. You knock on the door and she comes, Hi, I just threw this on, is this okay? She's been working for hours. And you know it. But there's this this chemistry, this this click that happens that every single time a man or a woman get married, they hope survives the marriage. And it says here to quench the romantic thirst. Quench that. It says drink water from your own cistern. A cistern is something that catches water. It's, It's something that's there to refresh whenever you need it. How many of us know in life, sometimes you need some refreshing? Three of us, thank you. I appreciate the high schoolers recognizing that. (laughs) Some of you are scared, like if I raise my hand, she's going to think I'm mad. I mean, it's okay. Y'all got to lighten up. I'm just telling you, throughout this series, quench the romantic thirst. Number two, refresh regularly. Refresh regularly. What does it say? Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Fresh water. Somebody keep it fresh up in here. You have to keep it fresh. And this is ultimately, primarily the responsibility of the husband. Now, women, don't write that down. You've got a role to play as well. Women, we, uh, when I tell you we need your spontaneity, we need the power of your beauty, we need you to refresh regularly, but it is the husband's, husband's role to create a safe environment and a safe relationship where she feels safe enough to refresh regularly. Unless you think this is just a masculine take on Scripture, if you go to the New Testament, God, through the Apostle Paul, says husbands and wives should not deprive each other sexually except for prayer and only for a mutually agreed-upon season of time so that you will not give Satan an opportunity to tempt you. So it's never, honey, I, don't, I can't tonight, I've got a headache. It's, honey, we're praying, remember? Remember? Now, obviously, obviously, husbands and wives do not stay on the same page. There, there are those moments, you know, when, when Julie starts nibbling on my ear, and I am exhausted. Like, <laughs> insatiable. I'm teasing. I'm saying that because she's over in the kids' building today. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's never, it's never a, a pressure a pressure situation but it's always a regular situation you've got to talk about it what's regular I don't know one woman's regular is another man's exhaustion you have to figure that out and work it out together refresh regularly number three I made up a new word I'm very excited about this word today number three practice sex exclusivity practice sex exclusivity the Bible says, Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? And that means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> you see, sex is a gift from God. We've already established the fact that marriage is for God. So if marriage is for God, then you can know that God is for marriage. But this gift of sexuality is designed. To be cherished and celebrated and guarded within the context and the confines of covenant marriage. Period. There is not a single biblical endorsement of any other model or paradigm. Not one. I don't care what happens culturally. I don't care what you feel like or what I feel like doing. God says we guard this gift exclusively. In marriage, did you know that couples who live together before marriage are 33% more likely to get divorced? The Atlantic, hardly a bastion of conservative theological values, posted an article last year, and they came to the conclusion that the reason for this is that most couples who cohabitate before marriage... Slide into marriage without careful consideration. Their words, not mine. Marriage in our culture is already a coin flip, 50 50. Why would you cut your odds by another third by moving in together? And don't, please don't ever tell anybody, well, we did it for financial reasons. No, you didn't. Well, one of you might have. He did it for sex. I mean, Well, we did it for financial, we was in different apartments, and we were going to, no. One man, one woman, one life. And this is not hopelessly outdated, anachronistic. This is what God says works best. So we strive to rise to the level God's called us to live at and experience his best in everything. Pornography, a horrific idea. There is no such thing as good pornography. There is no such thing as a good idea where it relates to pornography. Pornography statistically and demonstrably increases aggression and decreases intimacy and decreases commitment. There's not one thing about pornography that is good for marriage, whether you're married or not. So don't think it's harmless because what works today will require more and more deviant and frequent installments to work tomorrow and the day after. Develop right now and adopt a zero tolerance for pornography. It is never a good idea. And just because it's in a movie that's coming out and it's only rated R does not make it okay. As a matter of fact, it makes it more insidious. It makes it more cancerous and less treatable do not let your springs overflow into the streets streams of water in the streets number four celebrate your spouse celebrate her celebrate him look at what the Bible says it says let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth now this is a proverb addressed specifically to men, and when it says, let your fountain be blessed, it means exactly what you think it means. This is the call of God. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Celebrate the wife of your youth. Celebrate the husband of your youth. Some of you are thinking right now, well, he ain't that guy. (laughs) Well, maybe if you celebrated him a little bit more, The vast majority, the vast majority. I would tell you, all healthy, spiritually, emotionally healthy men play to the level that they're expected to play to. If you celebrate, just find something to celebrate. Just, just find a little ember of, of fire to, to just, 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 just bring life. Come on. You might hyperventilate before it really catches spark, but it is worth the wait. Men, celebrate your wives. Tell her you love her. Tell her you're still attracted to her. Tell her she's beautiful and not because you want something. Just just tell her. Just celebrate her. She married you on purpose. She didn't know. But she married you because she wants you. She, I I would even go so far, she needs us to celebrate her, to let her know that we still believe in her, that we still want her, that we still love her, that we're still attracted to her. Celebrate your wife. It's enough of that, but I, I would encourage you to memorize this passage. And then number five intoxicate your spouse. Intoxicate your spouse relationally. Relationally, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Julie and I have been married twenty-five plus years. We have lived. We've lived a lot of life. Julie and I had been married for about 18 months, she got sick one day, and we, we lived in a very, very, very small efficiency apartment at the end of a runway at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, <clears throat> and she woke up nauseous one morning, and she got out of bed. I didn't, I didn't hear her get up, but I was, I was awakened to the sounds of her throwing up in the bathroom, which was eight feet from the bed where I was sleeping. And, and I remember rolling over and going, oh, my gosh. We were newlyweds. I was like, this is terrible. I feel so bad. And I, I went over and, and I helped her, you know, hold her hair out so she could, you know, have a clean path. <laughs> and I will never forget when she rolled, she kind of looked, between episodes, she kind of looked up at me. she goes, I think the honeymoon's over. <laughs> and we've had hundreds if not thousands of moments since then but I've noticed every time I celebrate her everything works better everything you remember the the phone call I told you about with Emily at the very beginning remember I told you that that she said I blame you after she went through the whole diatribe about the workout and how horrible it was and all that I said hey why did, you, why did you say I blame you? And she goes, Dad, I had already decided this morning I wasn't going to go work out. I was just going to get up, have a good breakfast, leisurely clean out my room, which really needs it, by the way, and go get my car cleaned out. And then I remembered, ugh, I told Dad I'd go work out. So I did. So I blame you. <laughs> but you know what's cool? Is I've already worked out, I got a healthy breakfast, and my car is cleaned out, and it's not even 11 a.m. And so I've had a good day already. When we get married, we tell our Father, we'll do this. We'll do what it takes to live happily even after. But it's going to require His grace. And as it requires his grace, it displays his grace. You see, Jesus said that salvation is to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Marriage matters. It is absolutely the building block of our society and our culture, period. No doubt about it. Before there was ever a church, there was marriage. Before there was ever a school, there was marriage. Before there was ever children, there was marriage. Before there was a business, there was marriage. Husband and wife matter significantly and eternally, but ultimately they matter to point us towards salvation toward our need for grace, our need for a Savior who went to the cross and sacrificed himself as a substitute for me, as a substitute for you, so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. See, all roads lead to the cross. All roads lead to the cross. Whatever subject you want to talk about, it's answered in the cross. It's answered in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, this is salvation, to know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've seen. If you've never stepped into that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. To to adopt Jesus as your bridegroom. To to become a part of the bride of Christ, the church. to, To live in a relationship with him. I want to ask everybody if you will just bow your heads for a moment and as you do recognize that this is a holy moment and it's not time to be roaming around or distracting anybody from what God is up to. But if you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you just pray right where you're sitting. Just say in your own words something like this. Just say Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I give you my life. I will follow you from this moment forward." With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And so you need to mark it. You need to make sure that it doesn't just remain in this seat, but that it carries with you out from this place. I want to ask you just in this moment, if you would, if as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high right where you are. Just hold it there and know that as you raise your hand, you're marking this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church, because there's nothing more important to us, nothing. And so we celebrate that and we honor it. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.